It's hot. It's very hot. And I apologize to you who are in the splash zone. Uh, there's nothing that I can do. Um, so you've been forewarned. <laughs> yes, but we're immersion, not sprinkling. Sorry. Let's talk about baptism. Um, my first real taste of community, even though it wasn't a necessarily Christian community, came back in August of 1989. My heart was pounding. My head was pounding. Um, I was sweating profusely. Um, I was in the back of the team. It was a hot beginning to uh, three-a-days for college football. It was my sophomore year, and Coach J.R. Bishop had called us together at the end of wind sprints, at the end of the first practice in pads, and he called us together, and first thing out of his mouth getting us together was he pointed to me, and he pointed to another player, and he said, you let us down. You failed us. You didn't live up to your end of the bargain. We were counting on you. We need you. And I'll never forget the team turning and looking at me. There was this other guy too, but they were looking at me. I, that's what I felt. And I'll never forget the, realizing for the first time, um, really realizing what it means for people to count on you and um, for you not to come through. You see, what happened was to make the team, you had to uh, run a 12-minute run. And that Saturday we got together. If you didn't run the distance you needed to run, um, you couldn't play. And as an upperclassman, I had four opportunities to make it. And at, at my weight, which was a lot, I had to run six and a half laps, and I only made six and a quarter. And so um, I had trained, and I thought I was prepared, but I didn't, and I let the team down. Uh, it was a mess of a week for me. I was feeling terrible. I was thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Because you run it when you're fresh, and then I'm supposed to run it at the end, of the end of this week of triples when there's just nothing left in the tank. So I drag myself Saturday morning to the, uh, to the practice field, and there's going to be an assistant coach there waiting to time me. I don't know why. We ran it as a team when we started but we ran it individually uh, when you had to run it uh, again. And I'll never forget turning the corner, walking in the field, and there was Jeff Lane, team captain, the center, uh, Chris Davis, the guard, and Joe Baird, another guard, and my, my, uh, for four years the guy who's, whose locker was next to mine. And they had driven a motorcycle onto the track. And they said, you're going to make this. If we have to drive this motorcycle behind you for six and a half laps, you are going to make this. And so for six and a half laps, Joe Baird and Chris Davis and Jeff Lane took turns running with me, saying, you can do it, and saying some other things that I won't repeat here. <laughs> and I finished. I, it was a true outer body experience when I finished. It really was. Um, but I finished, and I made it. And I'll never forget that week of, of realizing the responsibility I really had uh, to somebody else. Um, but then more than that, seeing the responsibility that other people took for me and the care they, they experienced for me. And something as silly and as frivolous as a game, it was an incredible experience. You know, Jason mentioned that I've, um, 
I major in community. It's something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I've had many more opportunities to experience the joys and the sweetness and the sorrows of this thing called community in many deep and profound ways in my life. You know, I, I said that, I'm going to say it again, I had the privilege of playing a, a game in college with a group of men who love Jesus and who love me enough to call me out. And they even do today. They even call me today. I had the privilege of leading an undergraduate small group ministry at a local university while I was in seminary, encouraging uh, people to get into each other's lives. I was blessed to be in seminary and study alongside my wife, and to learn with her, to learn from her. And by the way, her master's project is entitled something like this, How a College Student's Spiritual Formation is Informed by Their Understanding of Biblical Community. It's important to us. We believe in it. My family and I had the honor of living after seminary um, with an amazing group of students for four years at Biola University. And I'll tell you, I never learned more about life and ministry than living life together with a group of students. Through all of the triumphs, through, through all the heartaches, we had two students who, who actually passed while I was there. To, to walk with students through life and death was an amazing, amazing experience. After that, after that time, I, I, was, uh, I moved on to college administration, and I became a dean of students. And I quickly changed my title to dean of community life because I didn't want it to be about students. I wanted it to be about community. Um, but sensing that the Lord wanted me to come back to the church, he led me here to EBF, and I've had the privilege and joy of serving with and learning from people who I believe have earned their PhDs in community. Uh, the Ewans and the Klinkners are just a few um, that I would, I would name. So thank you for teaching me and living life together with me and my family uh, through the good and the bad. So tonight it's exciting for me to explore this, this idea of community with you, and um, I hope in this hot basement that it will be something that we can all take away, be encouraged by, be challenged by, and ultimately become more like Jesus because of it. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son Jesus um, came and died and brought uh, reconciliation and restoration to us, us people who were so far off and who were your enemies because of the fall. And Lord, we know that real community will return again in heaven, and we have the, we have the chance to practice for it now. So help us to do that. Uh, give us courage where we need courage. Give us strength where we need strength. Uh, give us uh, peace where we need peace. But do your work in your way. Um, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was talking to a noted pastor scholar by the name of Jeremiah Vaught last week. Yes, Jeremiah Vaught is one of our church planners. We we're talking about the sermons. He's going to be speaking on justice on Thursday. I look forward to seeing you all then. And he, uh, he uh, read me a quote from J.I. Packer. And I, I sent him an email after I said, you know what, I'm going to steal that. If that's okay, I'll, I'll cite you. But, I want, but I'm stealing it today. You know, it's important for us to think about um, community when it comes to revival. Where does community fit in with revival? Well, I'm just going to quote J.I. Packer and, and, and let this uh, start us off. J.I. Packer says this about revival. Revival is a social, corporate thing, touching and transforming communities, large and small. Bible prayers are for revival. Implore God to quicken not me, but us. 
God revives his church, and then the new life flows from the church for the conversion of outsiders and the renovation of society. So let's get it straight. Revival does happen on a personal level. But in the history of the church, revival has been about God visiting his people in such a way that they cannot help but be changed and obey, and it brings new life and new change to the world. So think about it this way. Revival is from God. It is through his people as they obey and respond. It is for the sake of others to the glory of God. That's what revival is. And that's what we're seeking. So we need, to get it, we need to get it straight. As we are seeking to be revived individually, know that God is wanting to do a work here in this room so that we can leave this room, go to where we work, go to where we go to school, and bring the gospel to others, and that he will ultimately get glorified. That is the point. That is the purpose of revival. And it is about community. It is essentially and necessarily about community. We have to understand that. But let's, let's begin by uh, talking about what exactly are we saying when we say community. There's all sorts of different things that we could think about, and you guys have all, probably all sorts of ideas in your head. I'm going to keep it very simple. Um, community is simply about right relatedness. That's what it is. It's about right relationships with God and with others. And so that's when I say community, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what does it look like for us to be in the proper relationship with God and others? And instead of a definition, what I want to do is I want to offer four truths about community, and I want these to act as anchors as we go through Scripture. I'm going to be going through a lot of Scripture. Uh, don't, don't feel like you need to follow along, um, but you, you can write the, them down. But um, we're, going to be doing a, we're going to be going about warp speed when it comes to the different texts we're going to be looking at. But here are the, the uh, four truths about community that I want us to make sure we all get tonight. Community, first, is the way it's supposed to be. Community is the way it's supposed to be. Number two, community has been warped by the fall. In essence, it's been turned on its head, we'll see. Number three, community at its heart is fundamentally other-centered. Other-centered. And then number four, through the gospel... Community is our context for growth. Community is where we become like Jesus. So let's jump in. And again, we're going to take a whirlwind tour of community as laid out in Scripture. Where does community begin? Well, simply put, it begins in eternity past. With God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living in perfect unity for all eternity. For all eternity. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're distinct. They have distinct roles, but they are simultaneously equal, they're simultaneously united, and they're simultaneously, um, they're simultaneously love present within the, within the Godhead. So to be in community, to be in right relationship, is part of the essence of the divine nature of God. We need to get that. Okay, so Genesis 1.26 we hit creation, and what does God say? Let us make man in our own image. If it begins with God, then we have to understand our design is for community. Part of being made in God's image is the fact that we are designed and made for right relationship with each other and with God. We have to get that. We have to understand that. It's our design. 
And think about what God did. Think about what God did. He, uh, he placed them in a garden. He gave them instructions about how to relate, relate rightly to each other, to relate rightly to himself, and then how to relate rightly with all of creation. And it was the way it was supposed to be. Well, then the fall came. And what were the immediate results? Well, trust and unity that God and man had with each other um, that became, uh, for, for man, was replaced by shame and hiding. So trust and unity for, for mankind was replaced by shame and hiding. And what's the end result? The end result is separation. They were removed from the garden. They were separated from themselves. They were separated from each other. And think about the end result of sin. We're separated from our very bodies. The tyranny of sin and the fall is separation. And it's part of the agenda of the enemy to ruin and destroy. So community has been warped by the fall. But what does that mean to humanity? What does it mean uh, for, for us as we're living our daily lives as, as fallen people? Well, if indeed shame and hiding, if they've really replaced unity and trust with how we approach people, what does our focus become? If, our, if, we're, if we are moving towards people in shame and with hiding, our focus becomes ourselves, about, about my self-protection, about my self-preservation. And that becomes the driving force of community. And so then how do we begin to view people? Well, instead of seeing them as God's image bearers who we can trust, people either become impediments in our way of our own goals or they become tools for us to use for our own selfish motives. So right relatedness is replaced by a desire to manipulate and dominate another. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus, that, that God began his rescue mission almost immediately, almost immediately with his people, and he started this rescue plan. What does he do? Well, he draws the people to himself, and through a covenant and through his laws, he reteaches them how to relate rightly to him, how to relate rightly to, um, to one another. But he does more than that. If you remember when the children of Israel had left Egypt, he commanded the, the, the people to make a tabernacle. And God himself came and dwelt in the midst of his people and said, you come to me, and as you come to me, you'll be reconciled to me. You do what I ask you to do. You'll be reconciled to each other. We move forward to the temple. The same thing is happening. God is saying, I'm going to be in your midst. I'm going to draw you to me. As you're drawn to me, you'll be reconciled to me. You'll be reconciled to each other. We'll move forward to the New Testament. And Jesus speaks in these same terms. John in a, a John in John 1.14, what does he say? He said, the world became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and literally tabernacled among us. God came and was with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He tabernacled with us. We beheld his glory, that glory full of grace and truth. And then, through his work on the cross, on the behalf of this sin-warped mankind, this sin-warped uh, community, you and I, we have the opportunity to experience new life, new connection, new right relatedness with, with, with God. 
Paul, says, Paul talks about the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.19. He says this, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. See, again, I want to say it, as we're reconciled to God, we're rightly relating with him, we're broadening the body of Christ, reconnecting us supernaturally, not only to God, but to each other. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome and change our warped understanding of what exactly community is. So restoring uh, community is part of re- God's redemptive plan. It's part of his plan. I want you to get that, that, that we are part of God's redemptive plan. We are practicing for what our future holds. And what does our future hold? It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. If you jump to Revelation 21, as John shares his vision of heaven, he says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall neither be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Well, not only is restoring community part of God's redemptive plan, but community itself, perfect community, is our future hope. It's our future hope. Family of God, there is going to come a time when we are going to hear the words, now, now, the dwelling place of man is with God. And it's going to be the way it's supposed to be. Be encouraged. I don't care what your situation is. This is true. It is someday going to be the way it's supposed to be. There's going to come a point in time when God's going to say, now. And we're going to go full circle from the garden to the holy city. It's our hope and it's our future. But now, if you look at this really quick tour I took of biblical history, you realize I left out a pretty big chunk uh, from the cross to heaven. And that's a pretty important chunk for us because it's where we're at. And so what do we do in the midst of it? You know, some of you may have heard of this idea of something called realized eschatology. It's this idea that the kingdom of God was initiated in some small spiritual way um, by during the first coming of Christ, but it will fully be realized in all of its power and glory at his second coming. Well, I think that the community is, is the same. Can, we can express it in the same way, that, that we're, we're talking about a realized community, that we're getting a glimpse, a picture of what it's ultimately going to be. But that doesn't mean that, uh, that doesn't change things for us now. What do we do right now? What are we supposed to do? You know, especially as we think about this week of revival in our lives, what can we be, do, what can we be doing to grow in our understanding of community? What can you be doing? And then also, what, what actions can you take? What actions can I take to promote community here at EBF? Well, you've heard this whole week, we've been talking about the head, the heart, and the hands. And I want to challenge us to first think, think rightly about community. We're going to spend some time in the New Testament looking at that. And second, I want to challenge us to go a little deeper, to act rightly and respond rightly in community. 
But all the while, let's keep in mind that hallmark of community that I mentioned from the beginning. Let's keep this in our mind as we think through this. Community is always the context where we become like Jesus. So let's start thinking rightly. I want to run through some priorities we see in the New Testament about community. Um, First of all, community is at the heart of God. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed a lot of things. But one of the things he prayed was this. In John 17, 20, he said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their Son, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, Jesus could have prayed a lot of things in his high priestly prayer for us. But one of the main themes in his prayer is that you and I, Everson Bible Fellowship, that we would be one, just like he and the Father are one. It's at his heart that we are reconciled and restored fully. Because it's what, it's what heaven's going to be. He wants that for us. But there's more than that. Um, Look at the purpose that he has for the unity. Um, he gives it at the end of uh, verse 22, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, which leads to priority number two. Community is central to God's mission. It's central to God's mission. Uh, Jesus echoes the same thing in John 13, uh, 34 and 35 when he says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way we care for one another in this room, in our groups, at church on Sundays, throughout the week, all the little things we do, all the big things we do for each other, is telling the world that Jesus is real. It's telling the world that Jesus is real. It's telling the world that Jesus calls for something different in our lives. Don't underestimate the importance of loving and caring for each other when it comes to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Another priority. Community is necessary to fully obey God. This is a good one. Community is, is necessary to fully obey God. An account of the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus in Matthew 22 says this. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great command in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Think about it this way. If you can boil the entire law down to loving God and loving others, then it's impossible to take loving people and caring for people out of the equation and and obey God. You get it? We need to love each other. If we want to lead lives that fully please God, we have to be in community. Now, we can pull away for a while. I'm, I'm so grateful for Norm's example to go to the Colorado mountains and meet with the Lord for a time. Those are wonderful things. But if you are not in community, you are not in a place where you can fully, not only 
experience who God is and what he is doing, but you will not be able to be fully um, obeying him. It's important for us to understand that. Community is our current reality. That's another priority. It's a reality. I'm going to break all the rules right now, and I'm going to ask you guys to do something. Get a little interactive here. Hold the hands of the people next to you. Just for a little bit. Feels a little strange, right? Just keep holding, keep holding. Many places in the New Testament point to this fact, but I think uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 puts it most concisely. So hang with me. Now you are the body of Christ and individually, member, and individually members of it. Okay, you can let go. Please remember that because of Jesus, we are part of the body of Christ. And we are much more profoundly and permanently connected to each other than we have the ability to understand or admit. The fall and our fallen nature tell us that's not true. Our culture wars against it. I'm old enough to remember John Wayne, rugged individualism. Do it on your own. Our culture fights against it. But folks, it is reality. And I'm going to talk more about that reality later. We are in this together. We need each other, and we need to be there for each other. And one more thing, one more priority of Scripture. Restoring community supersedes worship. Restoring community supersedes worship. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Matthew 5.23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Keep giving the offering? No. Leave it. Leave your gift before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus so values community. He so values our right, relate, right relatedness with others that he commands us to reconcile before we worship. Lack of reconciliation actually hinders worship. I want us to be thinking about that. Be thinking about that when we go into a time of singing and praise after this sermon. So there you have it. I hope your heads and hearts are full. Community is at the heart of God. Pray that your heart will yearn for it as he does. Community is central to God's mission. May you embrace and support God's mission by loving other people well. Community is necessary to fully obey God. Move towards it. You are never alone. Remember that. But remember that you are never not alone. Community is our current reality. You never lose sight of this reality in your own life, in the life of others. And restoring community supersedes worship. Make things right tonight if you need to. Make things right before you continue to worship God. It's the hallmark of revival. You know, I could end there. But there's just really not enough bite. It's just, you know, so often community is sort of this fuzzy kumbaya, bring out the marshmallows, and we're all in it together, and love, love, love. 
but, but this is revival. We're seeking the Lord's face, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to stop there. Because, you know, we need to remember that the community really is a tough, hard place. It's a proving ground. It's a practice field where actions and attitudes are forged into Christ-likeness. Well, what do we do? What does it look like to act rightly and respond rightly in community? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. We're at a turning point in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews to this point has shown the supremacy of Christ in all things and the, the, the effectiveness of his work on our behalf. And we have this little picture into what our response should be. And I want this to be some teeth for us tonight as we consider what it means to act rightly in community. The author of Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let's, let's break this down. Rightly acting in community means what? To be intentionally other-centered. To be students of others. You see, if we're going to consider how to stir somebody up, we need to know what stirs them up and where they need to be stirred up. Pastor Jason is a great example to this for me. When I walk in the office, I know that I had better be ready with, with what has happened in my life. And I've learned, to, I've learned to love it and appreciate it because what he is doing is he wants to know me so he can, he can stir me up when he needs to. Don't ever get too lazy or too comfortable or too complacent where you stop asking questions, where you stop becoming students of not, of not only your family, of the people in your life, but of, of your people in your church. If you're an ethos community, spend time asking questions. Get to know people, but spend time getting, getting to know them, what makes them tick, what makes them not tick, what, 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 makes them, what makes them angry, what makes them sad. Where do they need to be pushed? Where do they need to be encouraged? Where do they need to be supported? Where do they need to be loved? Stirring one another up also means that we need to be courageous. It means that we need to risk relationship. We need to be willing to do that. We need to be able to um, stop and consider um, the reality of community, that we are in it together. Let me talk about this word to spur. Um, it's not a nice word. It's not nice. In fact, it's used in the New Testament to describe a lot of things. It was used to describe the sharp agreement between Paul and Barnabas. It's also been translated as a sudden convulsion, a violent emotion, or my favorite, to incite a riot. <laughs> to incite a riot. We need to be willing to be a positive irritant in the life of our friends. Now, I'm not saying be irritating. 
I'm saying we need to be a positive irritant. We need to be poking and prodding and pushing, just like those guys were doing running me around the track. And that's risky. That's risky. But it's what we're called to do. Part of spurring one another onto love and good works um, is also being responsible for one another. You know, uh, before I came up, Psalm 133 was read. And you, you know Psalm 133, Behold how, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And then there's all this imagery of oil being poured all over Aaron. What in the world's going on there? Well, you know what? That is an amazing, beautiful picture when you understand what's happening. What's happening is the psalmist is showing us the overwhelming abundance of a priestly duty and responsibility and the, the joy and the beauty of that. And what do the priests do? They represent God to the people, and they represent the people to God. And so it is good and pleasant when we are living together, when we are experiencing the abundance of doing that, of representing God to you, of representing, um, and you representing, you representing God to me, and I representing God to you. Remember, we're connected. We are responsible for each other. You have to understand when, when we're coming in the spirit where we're spurring somebody on to love and good works, where it's not about our agenda, where it's about God's agenda, you need to remember this, that we are connected. And so you're not coming to somebody to say, let's say Job sees some sin in my life. Job's not going to, he's not coming to me when he's coming in the, in the right spirit. He's not coming to me to say, John, you're bad. You're no good. You're not right. When he understands community, he understands we're in this thing together. John, if you're not pulling your weight, you're not firing on all cylinders, you're hurting the body. You're impacting my spiritual walk. And we don't get that. We're responsible for each other. And so if somebody comes and, 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 and confronts you, remember that. I would also encourage you, if you are going to confront, pray seriously and pray thoughtfully. Seek to, seek to really understand, is it my agenda or is it the Lord's agenda that I am bringing? That's one piece of advice I will give to you. My friend Josh, who was one of my college roommates and was a big old tackle from Maine when I was a PhD in education. Uh, he, uh, he'll call me, and he still gets this, and he gets it better than anybody I know in my life. He'll call me and he'll say, hey, John, I've been trying to reach so-and-so. He's gone dark. <laughs> and he's serious. And then the next thing out of his mouth is, what are you going to do? He lives by you. Are you going to go see him? What's going to happen? There's about 15 of us that's going to happen. If you go dark for a while, something is up, and we're going to go find you. Okay? That is what we need to be willing to do. And he's gotten in a lot of fights with a lot of my friends about that. But he's not going to stop caring for him. Because he understands that he is responsible for God, for the people in his life. But I also want to say, you know, what's the flip side of that? We're also responsible to each other. And I think this is one of the greatest um, 
There's lots of great. I sh- that's too. That's hyperbole. I won't say that. This is a gr- a great way to fight sin. Remember when you're holding that person's hand next to you. Think about that the next time you sin. Think about that. Would you be holding somebody's hand, walking into a room, losing your temper, looking at things you shouldn't be, talking to people the way you shouldn't be? You name it. But the fact of the matter is, when I walk in, into any room in my house, I'm walking with all of you. It's the truth. So I'm responsible to you. You know, one of my favorite things in a wedding is to give the charge. I really lay it heavy on the dude because he needs it usually, well, all the time. And one of the biggest things I want him to hear is to say, buddy, don't sin. Because if you sin now, she falls with you. Same thing applies for us. We need to understand that our spiritual walks whether they're healthy or unhealthy, whether they're good or bad, they are impacting those around us. If we're really getting the, the body of Christ ready, the bride of Christ ready for the groom, we all have a part to play. I want to encourage you with one other piece of advice when it comes to this. You know, Leah and I have been in counseling for a few years, and um, one of the things that we've been taught is when somebody comes to you, with a concern or an issue, what are you supposed to do, Layla? Am I putting you on the spot? Assume it's true. Assume it's true. Start there. Start there. We need to start believing and trusting that people are, are coming to us in real community, that they have our best interest in mind. We've got to get back to the garden where it was trust and where it was safe. So one of the ways you can begin practicing this is, is to receive it if we're responsible to others. We need, we need to relearn to trust others. I love the Proverbs that remember faithful wounds. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What else does this passage say? It says, be with people. Be present. Don't neglect meeting together. It's pretty straightforward. You cannot not be in community. You just can't. You know, it's impossible to be this positive irritant. It's impossible to be this prodding encourager. You can't do that if you're not with people. You know, I mentioned that that, uh, Josh, uh, my friend Josh, he was talking about people going dark. I want you to know, we know you guys go everywhere, all over the world, all the time. I've seen Nepal, Iowa, Indiana, you guys are always gone. But I want to tell you that your senior pastor has a community radar that I've never seen in my life. And he'll come to the office and he'll go, John, I haven't seen so-and-so. What's going on? And sure enough, we'll call. Not all the time, but a lot of times something big is going on in their lives. And I want to, I want to encourage you to be present, but I also want, I, I want you to think about this. It's a great check in your own life. If you find yourself pulling away, something's up. Either something that you don't want to deal with, something you don't, you don't want to face in your life. And guys, I want to say, that's the exact time you've got to run to it. You've got to run to it in those times. And finally, we need to be mindful that time is short. 
the day is coming. You know, it doesn't work to be um, to be practicing our, our own snooze alarm sanctification. It just doesn't work. The time is now. The time is now. So here's a great call for us who seek to act rightly in community. And, and I don't know where all of you are right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know. But I want to offer a couple suggestions for you to consider tonight. Maybe you need to be more intentional about moving towards others and less self-centered. It's a great thing to talk about during reading week, huh? Well, maybe some of you need to be a little more self-centered, but that's a different topic for a different time. Maybe you need to be courageous this week. Maybe you need to take some risks. Maybe you need to be honest where you haven't been honest in years, decades. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself. Maybe you need to rework your agenda for others. Maybe you need to lay your agenda for others, whether they're family members or other significant others. Maybe you need to lay them at the cross and seek God's will for them, not yours. Maybe you need to own your responsibility to others and go to them and confess and to obey. Maybe you need to own your responsibility for others and go to them and confront and pray. It's hard for me to say to this group here, but maybe some of you just need to show up more. I know you're here on a, on late on a Tuesday night, but maybe you need to show up more. Maybe you need to start being more present, start being more active in, in the community you're at, where, where Christ is center. You need to start using your gifts to build up the body. Maybe you need to be reminded that the time is short, that there is no snooze button sanctification. It just won't cut it anymore. Remember, revival comes from God, and it's through his people as they obediently respond for the sake of others, for God's glory. We have one role to play in that, and that's obedient response. Where do you need to respond and obey to God today? With this in mind, we're going, to, we're going to conclude in a little different way. Um, we're going to see where the rubber meets the road. And we're going to look, uh, we're going to scroll, scroll through uh, the one another's in the New Testament. And the, again, this is where the rubber meets the road in the New Testament. We want to talk about acting rightly. These are things that we are called to do with one another, towards one another. And we're going to do it silently, because I think silent is, silence is an overlooked and important part of revival. We're going to do it silently. And as this list is going through, I would just ask that you prayerfully read through it and ask God to show you where you might need to repent, or where you might need to make things right, or where you just need his strength for the day. May the silence help you listen.
and obey. We're going to enter into a time of worship right now, and I'm going to invite the the team back up to lead us in song as we, we sing to the Lord. But I just want to say, and I want to invite you, I want to invite you all, maybe there's a phone call you need to make right now. Maybe you just need to go out in the hallway, go upstairs and make a phone call. Maybe there's somebody you need to walk across the room. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you just need to encourage somebody. Maybe you need prayer for courage. Whatever you need to do as we're worshiping, please do it. Just remember that God values right relatedness so much that he sent his son to die for it. So let's do what we need to do. Amen.